Let's do this thing. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Questions Podcast. It's Pastor Miles and Pastor Mark here with your spiritual minty freshness. And a whole heap of cold-blooded love. This is episode 39. We're on the verge of 40. Wow, you're on the verge of 40 too, Just like me, just like me. 14 days away and I turn 40. So that means the podcast is going to turn 40 before I turn 40. Wow. 40 weeks. I mean, if we're counting the first ones. Yeah. Yep. Man, oh man. Anyways, so um, Kanye, Kanye West, is doing Sunday services at Joel Osteen's church this weekend. Really? I I guess Joel got Kanye. He's the first... uh, well, could we call it a church? It is a church, I guess. Yeah, technically. He's the first church to get Kanye to come. I, I guess I guess I could say I'm looking forward to Kanye West with Joel Osteen, said Miles never before. Never thought I'd I, ever. Who'd have thunk? Yeah. Weird. In fact, what is it? Lake Lakewood Baptist Church or whatever? That might be, Kanye's music might be the deepest theology they've ever had. They certainly, yeah. Ouch. Ouch. That'll, oh, get, that'll get me in trouble. Oh, man. <laughs> Roughing the passer 10 oh, yards. Oh, yeah. I'm yeah. throwing a flag on that one. Flag, Poor Joel. Red card, flag. Oh, man. J.O. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, he's not known for his deep theology. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> certainly nothing <laughs> negative. Well, let's just say he's living his best life now. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I don't know about everybody else that follows him, but... How popular would we be if we just told people good things? Well, I, it, it's totally inauthentic coming from us. Pardon the music or the sound there. there we go. What was that? that? It was like somebody, an angel just got their wings or what? I guess so. It was wow. my computer. It's, uh, yeah. Gosh. Prosperity, um, your divine right type stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. We, it, it would be inauthentic coming from us. We couldn't, we couldn't pull it off. I, yeah. I, think that, I think that Joel Osteen sincerely believes the things he's saying. Oh, really? I don't. I can't imagine that he doesn't yeah. believe those things he's saying. I don't doubt Miles. Yeah. Did I seem sincere that time? <laughs> <laughs> In other news, do you think they have like a college class on faking sincerity? Uh, we could. We could feigning. We could do that. Feigning one hundred and one. The problem is when I feign sincerity, it just comes across as sarcastic. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. There you go. Feigning. Feigning uh, one hundred and one. We'll just call it the art of sarcasm. That'll be the... There you go. I want to be like that, you know, behold an Israelite in whom there's no guile. I want to be like that guy. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, you know. number one, you're not an Israelite. Well... And number two, I don't know if you you'll You think there's be... guile there? Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, well, you know, I mean, I'm try- I said I want to be. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, anyway. Um, so, in, in other news, I was reading an article about the BBC. Uh, the, the British, British Broadcasting, Broadcasting Company. Company. Um, they were highlighting a children's educational program for children ages 9 to 12 years old. And um, got a little clip from it. Want to get your reaction. What are the different gender identities? That's a really, really exciting question to ask. Do you know there are so many gender identities? So we know we've got male and female, but there are over 100, if not more, gender identities now. So we know that some people might feel like they're too different genders so people might think they're bi-gender and then you've got some people who might call themselves gender queer who are just like i don't really want to be anything in particular i'm just going to be me <laughs> <laughs> that's for Sorry, nine i have a cough i, 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 I have a that's cold. for nine to 12 year olds yeah 
Addison and Ethan's age. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. So four They're going to be some years. jacked up It's just not helpful. Kids. It's wrong. It's not helpful. Sick and wrong. Yeah. Sick and wrong. Um, yeah. So anyways, in other news. Yeah. Um, I was listening to a podcast interview uh, the other day with an owner, operator, trainer of a CrossFit gym. And um, so I, I wanted to throw in another little little clip. I, I know this. where this is going. Yeah, I've yeah. been so to CrossFit. This, here we go. This is a little clip from this owner, operator, CrossFit guy. In this place, we actually have well one safe place. And to your point, it may be the only way that I'm not on in jail. I'm not on drugs because I figured out that I could self-medicate with exercise and I found a community of people that said, I'll be there for you no matter what. That's, a, that's, that's the new church. Mm-hmm. CrossFit's the new church. The new cult. I mean, we, we, we saw this in an article last year that we passed around on, uh, from Vox that was talking about CrossFit and being the kind of new religion for a lot of people who've given up on religion. So... So yeah, so there's that guy. He's saying, "Hey, this is the new church. Come, come to the workout gym." Yeah, I, I, I've been to the cross. I didn't. Yeah, yeah. Wasn't a crossfitter. You weren't a crossfitter. No, I know. I, it's very no, easy can, to believe that. You kind of yeah, look like you I got be. a shape, but it's yeah, yeah, it's a shape. You've been bodybuilding a certain Absolutely. form of bodybuilding. Absolutely. Yeah. But um, TJ Tacos. Bodybuilding. I very much saw that dynamic with some of the CrossFit crowd. Yeah. And then uh, when you talk to some of the outcasts, yeah. Where they've been hurt and they can't be in the gym, this and that. Some of that goes away a little bit later. So, oh, what you're saying is like once they are not in with the tribe, working out, they're not. They're on the outside of the exactly. Tribe. Oh, so you got to keep up with the the religious routine, and if you don't keep up with the religious routine, you get excommunicated. Yeah, and it you know. And what happens when you get mad at one CrossFit gym and you go down the street to another CrossFit gym? It's kind of like church hopping. I think so. Yeah, pretty yeah, much. It's like you know, absolutely. That happens for sure. Yeah, and they're all different. Like all churches. CrossFit gyms? Very different. There's different personalities to CrossFit gyms. Some are really into the competitions. Some are a little bit more mellow. You know, all these other things. Mm. So, you know, non-steroid, steroid. You know, they got it all. No steroids. Clean living. That's what it's all about, man. That, there you go, man. Sure. You got to eat raw, clean living. None of that steroid stuff. None of those people are doing steroids. Okay. Just anyway, uh, your next episode of Disney on Parade. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Yeah. It is fascinating that you have this whole group of people who have uh, apparently given up on organized religion only to basically join a different form of or- organized religion. It doesn't have a religious text, sacred text that they read, but they're totally into uh, all the... Yeah, it, it's kind of like a religion. Yeah, it is. I don't know that it's because they've given up on something else. It's just they probably never they tried They've got to fill somewhere in their life. Yeah, it's a, it's a hole. Yeah. Just like a lot of other things. And a lot of those same people, they want to live forever. So they're also into, this was another article I was reading that I thought was kind of funny. Um, the same age group that's like super into CrossFit as their religion, they're into biohacking to try and live longer so that they can live, you know, outlive their, the former people that didn't live as long. And so they had this guy, he's 37-year-old uh, out of Texas. He's made some money in real estate. So he's got some excess money to spend. And uh, he's spending a fair amount of tens of thousands of dollars annually on all kinds of his biohacking pills. He takes like 150 different pills every single day to try and extend his life. And he spends an hour every day in a, in a hyperbaric chamber. He's got this weird 
you know, little light electric electricity thing that he stands by and it's supposed to give him like good vibes or something. So I got this other clip because I thought it was kind of interesting from the guy who's going to live forever. You've had to spend a small fortune, I guess, to maintain this regimen. I have. Um, I have, but, you know, I'm my asset. But the data will tell you folks that, you know, are living this type of lifestyle are living well in excess of 120 years old. My biological age is now that of a four-year-old. Yeah, I think his thinking is that of a four-year-old. <laughs> My biological age yeah, is now that of a four-year-old. Somewhere in an old book it says you're going to live basically as long as you do. The, the, the Basically, well, the, the number of I love your that days. He says, I love that he says that people who are living this way are living well in excess of 120 years old. Show me those people. Where yeah. are those people? Fantasy Island, bro. Yeah. No, not yeah. going to happen. And then if you add up all the days, all the time that yeah. he wasted doing this, it's probably going to be 10 years of his life he wasted doing this when he had it all up. Well, his biological age is that of a four-year-old, so he'll only be 14 by that point. He'll just be reaching adolescence. So Great. he'll be fine. Yeah, yeah everything will absolutely. be Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. In the words of Steven Tyler of Aerosmith, uh-huh. dream on and dream on. Yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. Ridiculously fascinating. Gosh, I, you know, none of those stories made me happy. We're, we're living in strange times. Tell me about it. So, well, the Kanye thing was great. Yeah. Is Joel going to preach at the Kanye thing? Well, I'm kind of assuming that that um, Kanye's probably going to have some of his people do the little message bar. Maybe. I don't know. If he does an altar call, maybe like everybody in the church will raise their hand. And yeah, there's a Jesus. potential that if there's 20,000 people at Joel's well, church, there's... They a, have 25,000 people. There you go. It, there's potential for 25,000 people to get saved. Yeah. So, yeah, crazy. Cool. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, definitely Osteen's church is a gateway to Christianity. You think? Yeah. It's like a gateway drug to Christianity. I hope so. So, you know, a lot of people listen to that guy. Yeah. Like, they go to real churches. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, we should, should we be nicer? But that would mean I'd have to be less truthful. Maybe. They can't handle the truth. Maybe. He says a lot of things that are, like, almost true. But he leaves parts out. Right. It's like just a little off. The problem is being a little off over time can get you into lots of trouble. Like I've heard said once before, don't worry. There's just a little bit of poop in the brownies. Oh, yuck. Um, so we got some questions. We do. Yes. We got this whole Job thing as people questioning stuff in a good way. It's probably a good thing. I think it is. I hope so. I think it is. Well, let me put on my glasses, you know, fresh out of the infirmary. Here we go. Yeah, you've not been well. I've been sick as a dog, but I, I just want you to know that I didn't want our loyal listeners to be disappointed. I told you we could do this the mobile way. I could do it over the phone. Yeah, but I, I like, I feel like in person, I, I like to watch you shake your head and go, I can't well, believe I said FaceTime. that. Well, we We can do it over video. That's and true. I'm just going to shake yeah. my head. Well, go, oh, the my internet goodness. connection at my house isn't that great. Oh, that's not good. Okay, what is your favorite book in the Bible and why? So, you first. Oh, you're going to toss it to me first. Yeah. Um, that's a hard question. I like lots of books in the Bible. But I, I think the first one that comes to my mind is Philippians. Um, but I, but like I said, I, I think I've got a lot of favorites. Ephesians is awesome. and Yeah, they're all good. But yeah, Philippians is probably the one that I lean on the most. And I think I would say why, just because in like every chapter of Philippians, four chapters, there's some pretty significant verses in each of those chapters that I, I don't know, they, they kind of have an importance in my life at certain points in my life. And I always go back to Philippians 2, 
12 and 13, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, yeah. for it's God who works in you to will and do his good pleasure. Those those two verses, I, I kind of lean on those a lot. I don't know, but how about you? I mean, I'm sure that it's really close after uh, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Well, you yeah. know how much I love Numbers. Leviticus. Numbers is a huge one. I've yeah. practically memorized Leviticus. Yeah. <laughs> Feigning sincerity, brought to you by... Oh, you know, I... You like Job. One of your favorites. Not. Yeah. No, I, I am I am digging Job. I'm having a Job-like experience. Yeah? Which one? Like a minor Job-like experience. Really? Well, the Suburban needs a new transmission. Yeah. Ouch. Ouch. Yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of dough. The Suburban and me, we kind of lurched to the Suburban store the other day, the transmission store. I barely made it. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I was. I had to manually put it in fourth gear because that was like the only one that worked. Not hmm. so good. I was like, I might, I was, you know, you ever get sick at like one in the morning? Well, Evangeline did the other night. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I'm like, my guts are just hurt and dying. And, and I, you're going, blast you, Miles, for no. teaching through Job. Yeah, it was all your fault. Right. No, and so I, but it's one of those stomach things you go, I think this is probably appendicitis. That's exactly what we thought with Evangeline. And so I'm I'm wondering, you know, one, two, three in the morning, if I have appendicitis. And I said, you know, I'm like Job. The good friends at Escondido Fire would come pick you up. No, you. I just said, you know what? I can't I can't accept the good things from the Lord, not the bad. Jesus, go. take me. If oh, I'm gonna go, you were you were right there. You were in Job three. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you might. I mean, I don't think I was suicidal. All right, well, back like, to you know, what's your favorite book? Of the Bible. So, um, it, you know, that, the interesting thing is, is depending what you're trying to do. Right. But for me, the, the I really like the book of John. John, yeah, yeah, the Gospel of John's good. And I would say if I was a, a pastor at a church, oh, hang on a second. You are. Yeah, if I could have a congregation be an expert in one book, if I was, you know, had them locked up on an island somewhere and they're only allowed to have one book of the Bible, John is pretty comprehensive. Hmm. It's got a lot of great stuff in there and a lot of great passages. And I mean, there's... We could argue about that, but there's just a lot of really great... It seems to be a really good overview hmm. uh, of a lot of things. Jesus' ministry and things like that. But you were mentioning uh, Philippians. Yeah. Uh, that's a really... You can get a lot of really great personal stuff out of that, yeah. I think, too. So I really love the book of John. Mm-hmm. So, um, and one of my favorite... I like teaching through the book of Mark. Yeah, Mark one. has a nice pace to it. Do yeah. you like it because it's your namesake? No. Oh, okay. Just got lucky on that one. Yeah. So, uh, but I think there's you a lot of great you. principles in there, especially for guys. We can thank Eleanor and Ed for that one, right? Absolutely. Good Saint job. Mark, just not a saintly. That's what mm. I tell people. Mm. Then they I remember every that. time. Have you performed any miracles? I think. Okay. Well, yeah. So, amazing miracles. But we yes. don't want to talk about that. We can't have people coming to the church just to see our miracles. <laughs> you know how that goes. I could try to shut them up just like Jesus. Yeah, no, don't tell anybody about that. Yeah, no, we're not going to do that. Well, you so. know what? They haven't been telling anybody, so you're good. That's good. We're safe. We're safe. So I'm going I'm going with John. I like the book of John, and it's one I um, also for new believers, they can walk yeah, through that. Yeah, a good book. 21 Days in John, Ray did that, but other people do that, um, is a really good way to get grounded in the faith. So the book of John, I think, is a really solid book. I love it. And I mean, as all the books are, but hmm. they said favorite, yep. so we had to pick one. Yep. All right. In Job... In chapter 3, Job is questioning why he was born. He seems to be questioning God because God controls all things, including birth. So it seems that righteousness is not measured 
by questioning God's allowance of suffering in our lives. Hmm. Well, I think you can be righteous and question God about sure, things. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I wouldn't necessarily make a strong dogmatic statement about that necessarily from what we see in Job, but I think right. God is awfully gracious to us even in our weaknesses. Yeah. Like if you read the Psalms, the Psalms are filled with writings from the authors of the Psalms where they are expressing their sorrow and their grief and suffering and and you know God, why did what, you let this happen? What's the old thing? saying? God's got big shoulders or whatever, you know. Yeah, he's know. a big boy. Yeah, God, he can handle God can handle your you questions. You can question him, those sort of yeah. things. He knows our frame. Psalm 103 says he remembers that we're just dust. Uh, but dust. I think also, yeah. But dust, yeah. I think also we might want to withhold judgment on the whole situation about how God feels about Job's questioning because Job, Job or God hasn't responded to Job yet. <laughs> but he's going to. He's going to. Yeah. So, yeah, we might want to withhold judgment. God, God's going to have some words for Job. Yeah, but I, I think you can be righteous and like, who in do question God. you think God. you are? Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think so. I think you can be righteous and question God if that's where we're going like, with it. Why, why are you doing this, God? I don't understand. Yeah. So, And I don't always get an answer. That's why Philippians, one of my favorite books, you know, it says uh, he will, um, you know, give us peace that surpasses understanding. Yeah. I don't always understand what God's doing. But, um, yeah, I think that. Right. And, and I had made the point a while back that I, I really believe that some of the trials we experience in our lives are to bring us to a place where we do ask God, hey, what's up here? Yeah. And it draw and us nearer to him. We ask that question and it puts our hearts in a place where we can actually receive an answer because sometimes our heart are not prepared for, we're not asking the right questions sometimes. Mm. So mm-hmm. I think we can, that's God's way of mercifully and with grace bringing us to a point where we're asking a question we need an answer to. Yeah. And it's usually for our reproof or correction or direction or encouragement, all those things. So, yeah, not a bad thing. Okay, number three. You taught that, whoa, this is a big one. Yes, it is. You taught that Job was suicidal. I I cannot see Job having suicidal thoughts. So um, I guess this isn't a question. It's more of an argument. I do, however, see him longing to leave his situation via death. Gosh, that sounds like suicide. Mm. He expresses the desire through submission in a prayer to the... Omnipotent God. Is it omnipotent or omnipotent? omnipotent? It depends how ghetto I'm feeling. Yeah. But omnipotent, omni, omnipotent or, you omnipotent. know, omnipotent um, God by asking God to kill him. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, his imagination of if he were never born can't be seen as suicidal thoughts. All this seems to me to be Job submitting to God his desire to be done with life. Sounds like. Suicide. Yeah, he obviously has the wrong existential. 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 You have to say it with a British accent. Existential. Existential. Yeah, the condominium. Uh, Yeah, anyway. Uh, Understanding. He is betraying the wrong understanding by asking to leave his life because of all the loss he's experienced. I know God's word says, as a man thinks, thinks in his heart. Sorry, my glasses are a little foggy today. Uh, so is he. So Job is definitely heading down the wrong road, and it may not be long before he does take action towards his own demise. Okay. Um, or even dwell on thoughts of how he might accomplish such. But in the text, I do not see him having suicidal thoughts. So why do you say... All that to set up the question. Here we go. Yeah. So why is this? why do you say that you are sure that this passage is saying Job has suicidal thoughts? 
So question mark. So I have a couple pre thoughts. Okay, please. And, and obviously it was you saying this. Not yeah, I me. did. I did say. So it'd be really easy to Joe say, yeah, Miley, you're totally suicidal. full of it. Yeah, yeah. No. So you could say that. I could say that, but I, 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 I would disagree with. It. So okay, you're giving an overview. Mm. You're not giving a line by line study of Job, mm-hmm. and so Job is definitely going down a path mm-hmm. that um, he makes a, a few statements here that in a clinic, right? If you had checked yourself in or were talking with a clinician before checking yourself yes in. yeah um they would come to those those they those statements by right. job right if well you and i are a little bit put in the position of being a clinician been. at yeah. time and yeah. have been uh-huh. if somebody comes to me with those statements i have to ask those questions right. because it appears they're going down a road where they could take their own lives so clinically in you know these united states of america in 2019, uh-huh. uh, I would be required to pursue that line of questioning because he is showing signs of being suicidal. Um, I would totally agree with what you said on that 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 point there because it's that's just the facts. Right now, um, I mean, I have no way of knowing exactly what Job is thinking. You don't mm-hmm. either. Yeah, but it would seem to be pointing to that thing. But I'm I'm absolutely okay with somebody saying, well, I don't necessarily agree with that. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. fine. We, we can still be friends. And it's, I don't think it's a dumb statement or dumb question this person's making at no, all. No. I think they're bringing something up. But it certainly appears that he's going down a road where he doesn't want to be alive anymore. Yeah. So so the question, why do you say you're sure that this passage is saying that Job is suicidal thoughts? Well, my interpretation of what we read in Job chapter 3 and then another verse I mentioned on Sunday in Job chapter 6 are not the interpretation. It's it's a way of looking at what's going on in the text. And I think that there's, you know, both what the text is saying and in my experience interacting with people who are suicidal, I, I think you could make a really good case. Like, this is what it often looks like when someone is suicidal. I mean, Job here longs for death. In Job 3.21, he's longing for death, wishing that death would come. And we need to put something else in perspective also. Who is Job talking to? He's not talking to his friends. He's talking to God. Yeah. And he's bearing his soul to God. And God, I mean, he could just as easily be looking down the barrel of a loaded gun because he's talking to the guy who's in charge mm-hmm. of life and death. Yeah. And he's. Bas- it sounds like he's making a request here. Well, yeah, and he, he talks about being glad to find the grave. So in other words, he's saying he'd be happy to die in that passage. Yeah. God, when I give he, you permission. When he says, I, I wish I was never born, I wish I had died long ago, these are the kind of words that suicidal people say. These are some of the things that you kind of catch when people are making comments. You go like, hey, this this could be a problem. Their, their mind is not in the right place when it comes to this. Then the passage in Job chapter 6 is pretty striking because in that passage, he, he basically prays and requests, God, just kill me. It's the same thing Elijah does in 1 Kings chapter 19, just... God, just take my life, kill me. Now, I think it's really good that Job did not make good on his desire. Or try to, yeah. Right. He didn't choose to try and take his life. Yes, he is putting his hand, his life in God's hands, which is exactly the point I made on Sunday, that he, he made a decision to put his life in God's hands. Um, but he was wishing death would come because things were, were pretty devastating. So I think you could make a really good case that uh, it seems in that passage like he's having some suicidal thoughts. He doesn't make good on it. Praise God. Here you but, go. Ready? Yeah. Hmm. What would Joel Osteen have told him? I don't know. I've never read any of his books, but you have. I, I actually used to read. That's funny. That's right. <laughs> Somebody is a joke. Gave me a Joel Osteen book. Yeah. What was it called? Uh, something Declaration. 
oh gosh, I forget what it was called. Huh, I don't know. I declare. I declare. That's I what declare. it was. And it, we would, it was a fun time. Yeah. My youngest daughter, I would give her a ride to Palomar College. Mm-hmm. And uh, this book was in the car. And it's one of those things I meant to take to Target and get my Money six back. bucks back because the guy gave me the, the receipt. Yeah, because it was a joke from nice. a white elephant gift. And we had so much fun reading these declarations. And little Grace would, at the time, she was little, she would read these with a southern accent. Little college-aged Grace. Yes. Well, I mean, she was... She was like six. She was 15. (laughs) Okay, all right. So 14, 15, whatever, she's going to take Palomar classes. Gotcha. But what was so funny was is she'd read it with a southern accent, and once in a while I'd go, man, this guy's got a really good handle on this scripture. And then right at the end, it would go right back into this bad (laughs) theological position. I'm like, oh, bummer, missed it by that much. So yeah, what would Joel, Joel would have just? What would Joel have told? Well, him, okay, you know? so I'll give you an interesting kind of. Mm-hmm. Your kids maybe. aren't dead. Your wife isn't cursing you. No, no, no. I'll give you a very interesting Joel-ish, sure, potential remark on this because I'm pretty sure I don't know a lot about Joel Osteen, but I know that he's in the positive confession thing, right? Okay. Well, I got so there was a gentleman years ago who gave me a book that he wrote that he self-published. I'm I'm always a little leery when someone hands me their book that they self-published, and uh, he'd he'd signed it the entire you know, focus or theme of the book was on positive and negative confession. And his, one of his chief verses was out of Job chapter three, the passage that we were in this last Sunday, saying that the, this, was his, this was his teaching on the book of Job and positive negative, negative confession. The reason Job is experiencing all this loss in his life, loss of job or loss of all his wealth, loss of his business, loss of his kids, loss of his health, all of this is because of what we read in Job chapter three, verses 25, the very end of it, 25, 26. That which I feared the worst has come upon me. So this guy's premise in his book was Job is making a negative confession and because he vocalized his fear somehow in some way. That's why all this stuff was happening to him, which is not the right conclusion no. of the book of Job. But that was no. his view on it. So maybe that's what, what uh, Joel would say. Mm-hmm. You know, Job, all these things came upon him because he made a negative confession. That which I feared the worst has come upon me. That's or they'd say, Job, this is happening because you don't have enough faith. Enough faith. There you yeah, go. That's yeah, a, that's a horrible teaching. Not a good thing to teach, no. Wow. So, um, anything else? I don't, I don't necessarily want this to be bag on Joel Day, but... <laughs> hey, you lit the fuse, bro. I did, I did. Well, I you can't up. even say the name. Osteen? You can't say the name without it coming up. I just... Yeah. Yep. So, anyway... We should probably go to the next question. Okay, let's go to the next question. Number but, you know, four, whoever sent that question in, not a bad question. Yeah. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree that maybe Job was not suicidal, but I think he was. Well, yeah, okay, but he wasn't exactly... If, if the PERT group from the police department showed up, psychiatric emergency response, they would have put him in a, you know, a 72-hour holding. Okay, so on a scale of a bowl of bland oatmeal being depression yeah, and a happy meal... Being exuberantly happy, what, what would you say? He's, he I've was never more seen that. As headed a for the oatmeal, or, or headed to the. To the no, he's, you know. he's eating. Yeah. He's eating cold oatmeal. It's yeah. not even heated up yet. Yeah, it's out of yeah. the trash can. Right. So yeah, number four. Yeah. All right, Quattro. What are some practical things to do to keep up hope while you're going through a dark season like Job? Hey, that's a good question. How do you keep your eyes on the hope? Um. In the future, when things get so overwhelmingly, it says now, maybe it just means that they're overwhelmed in the present, probably is what they mean. So the way it was sent in there. Oh, yeah. So uh, some practical things to keep up hope. Well, I can tell you some of the things I've said to people when they are in a difficult (laughs) trial and they're they're kind of despairing of life, maybe. Um, 
One is they need to get some rest. Mm-hmm. They need to read the scriptures. Mm-hmm. They should probably not be drinking any alcohol. Nope. Not a good thing. It's a depressant, an amplifier of depressing sort of things. Not good. A lot of people do drink when they're in that place. Not a good thing mm-hmm. to do. Um, Shut off the news. Yeah, that's a good idea. Get get active. People, you know, if you're getting some exercise, it helps you process the chemical things that are happening in your body, cortisol and all these different things that are going on in the body. Uh, you need to spend some time in fellowship with other godly people, Christians who are encouraging. You need to serve some people, kind of reach out of yourself. Uh, and then maybe reach out to a qualified counselor, someone who can help you walk through it. And I would say qualified Christian counselor who can also point you to the Lord. So then you just taught on eternity a few weeks ago, setting your mind on things above in Colossians. Right. It's right. very I, important. I think it's super important. And I think um, some of the happiest people I know on the planet, and you uh-huh. go, wow, why is that person so joyful? One of the things they have in common is they spend a good part of their lives uh, living for other people. Yeah, that's what you're saying there. You've got to serve some people. Yeah, serving people. But just if your daily thing is just like, how am I helping people? How am I doing this for other people? And this can be, if you're a dad, you're living for your wife and your kids and you're sacrificing for you them. Be. You should be. Right. And it shouldn't be a drudgery. It should be a ministry. And if you're if you're seeing it as a drudgery, um, it, I think there's a, a huge value in refocusing and seeking out counsel from people who do have joy. Uh, and they might not even know why they have joy. It's just a great habit they've gotten, gotten into, like reading their Bibles and exercising and doing all those things. So I think that's a really big, that's a commonality I see in people that have a lot of joy. They did a study years ago, yeah. and they found that some of the, this is a secular study, they found that some of the people that had the highest happiness quotient in their lives were people that made a living doing things for other people. And they were saying like real estate agents, uh, even some of the dentists, just people who were serving other people as part of their profession were some of the happiest people they were uh, that, that were around. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and this was a secular study. Mm-hmm. And so it was pretty, pretty cool. So uh, I'm excited. Like, you know who's a really happy guy? Uh, Dan. Eeyore? Dan the Donut Man. Yeah. He's happy. When he shows up, he here. still needs Jesus. We got to pray for Dan, yeah, but that dude is—he's excited to bring the donuts by. He comes by. He'll spend like forty-five minutes here, just donut talk, chatting with the peoples. Yeah, he loves being around these That's believers. Cross connection people are happy people, and he likes to hang around the happy people. At Absolutely, and he's bringing the just the it icing is, on the cake, so to speak. It is really important that just as a rule, you should probably spend time with people who are happy and uplifting. Yeah, because you know the bad attitudes and you know terrible dreadful outlook of some people it'll it'll kind of wear on you oh yeah and weigh you down absolutely that's why i i kind of make it a point to not spend much time watching the news there you go because it's all dreadful okay now we're we're no you know we made no secret that we are fans of winnie the pooh yes absolutely and i think it's interesting that all those characters in the winnie the pooh series t-i double gur yes because the tigger's a wonderful thing yeah each one of those characters has a very distinct uh, personality. personality trait. Yep. So you have Eeyore, who's, well, he's, he's an a, Eeyore, he's right? Down. Yeah. Uh, we've got Piglet. He's worried about everything, right? Yes. Uh, Owl. Yep. And Pooh. What, what is Pooh's underlying personality? He is just happy about life. Yeah. 
to the point of he just always is looking at the pot. He misses everything because he's so positive. Okay, so on the list of Winnie the Pooh characters, which one reflects the spirit of Mark Childers? I'm probably more of a Tigger. Really? I don't know. I mean, maybe a combo. I mean, I don't worry about things. Yeah. I mean, I'm not as wise as Owl. I tend to be analytical about things. Mm. But I'm usually, I'd like to think I'm pretty much full of joy all the time. Yeah. But, you know, I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. Maybe give we, me need some, to create, give me... we need to create a personality test. There probably is a Winnie the Pooh personality test out there that will tell you which, which one you are. Right. I, I think I might be maybe Winnie the Pooh. Maybe. I don't think either one of us are Eeyore. I don't think so. No. I mean, you know. Yeah. I've known some Eeyores. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I have a friend. Uh, I won't mention a name, but I have a friend who's a great pastor, but he's Eeyore. Everybody yeah. calls him Eeyore. Yeah. yeah. So anyway, there we go. That gives some food for thought. So, you know, maybe our listeners. That that most recent movie the with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, the... Uh, What's that guy's name? Ewan McGregor. And Ewan, he, yeah, he Ewan, plays, yeah, whatever. Ewan, Ewan, he whatever. He plays like the old Christopher Robin yeah, when he that, grew up. That's a cool movie. That's like the modern day Hook. Do you remember ah. Hook? Which is a really sad outcome when you think about Robin Williams. That that talking about suicide, what a really sad situation. But uh, but you know the ER movie or the new Winnie the Pooh movie with uh, Ewan McGregor was really good, where Christopher Robin is now old and he goes back to the Hundred Acre Wood. It was great. Yeah, it was great. I, I like that it. movie. Yep. You know, he did a really good movie, too. Um, it was like Trout Fishing in Yemen. That's weird. It It's an interesting movie. Huh. If you like trout fishing. Well, you don't even have to like trout fishing. But anyway. I was listening to this podcast a while ago, and they were talking about Yemen, and that apparently the coffee from Yemen is the best coffee in the world. But the problem is, it's almost impossible to get it out of the country <laughs> because of all the the terrible things going on in Yemen all the time. Really? Yeah. Anyways, onward. Yeah. I guess we're on number five. Okay. Well, let's pull it out here. Here, number five. Hmm. So maybe we should come up with like the poo test. You know what I mean? The Winnie the Pooh. I guarantee there is a Winnie the Pooh personality test online. I can't wait. It's going to be great. Okay. So number five. What are some of the warning? Um, you know, how do you keep your eyes on the hope in the future when things get so overwhelming now? I think all those things still apply. Which Winnie the Pooh character are you? Oh, there, there is. Oh, a, wow. Yeah. Okay. All right. All so, right. Sorry. Back to the question. What are some of the What are some of the warning signs that might warn needing, needing to, to ask if someone is suicidal or self harming? Mm. Well, self self harming oftentimes becomes apparent because you can tell. Uh, a lot of times, it's in the form of cutting, and so people need to be really aware of what's going on. And typically, you know, you're gonna. People are going to try and hide it. So they're going to, if they're doing it on their arms or somewhere else, they're going to be wearing long sleeves. And maybe you've seen a, a change in the way that they're dressing and you need to kind of inquire on that whole thing. But um, when, when you're interacting with someone who potentially could be considering harming themselves, they're going to, they have tells, you know, they start to reveal that in some of the things that they say or the way that they act. If they're being withdrawn or, and isolated, it's really important to reach out and connect with that person, make sure that they're okay. I had a conversation with someone after the service this last Sunday and they were sharing that they had a friend who was withdrawing and had made some comments and posts online that just didn't, that they seemed out of character. There was a, a mood shift. And so this person tried to contact the person, the person wouldn't answer the phone. 
they they tried to connect with them text messages and wouldn't respond and so they did a you know called the police department to do a welfare check and the person was okay they hadn't done anything um, but they were really upset you know how dare you call the police but it's like well i'm worried about you yeah i mean somebody cares enough and then you know answer your text message yeah. You so, know? yeah, when people are talking about wanting to die or wanting to harm themselves, that's you take notice of that. Don't just think, oh, they're just messing around. When, when someone's maybe talking about being hopeless, uh, they're, they're just using kind of the words of expressing despair. And uh, people start to say goodbye to people. And I just want you to know how much I love you, those kind of things where it seems out of character. Um, so, yeah. Or if they start to talk about, you know, they feel like they're a burden to others or maybe it would have been better if I'd never been born. When people start to make comments like that, you got to take those seriously. I think you got to take those seriously. Well, because I, know you I do. have been I have been in the home of people after a suicide has just happened. It's horrible. Yeah, it's not good. It's horrible. So, uh, yeah, one of my, I had a personal experience with somebody and uh they started to get their affairs in order. Mm, mm-hmm. And uh literally went out and got distributed funds and did a will wow, and, yeah. and did all this other stuff and uh uh and they definitely had a plan cuz they would not say the magic words so hmm. as far as the words that you're looking for and uh they did it oh man yeah, yeah. kind of a bummer this uh, is kind of a bummer conversation well it's a real conversation it's necessary i, I think we need think to you know i mean i'm blessed that we're in a church and where we can talk about these things cuz they're real yeah and I think, you know, the church needs to wake up and realize that, you know, we're answering a lot of questions that people aren't really caring about sometimes. We need to answer the questions that people care about and, you know, give them Jesus, obviously. But uh-huh. so, um, yeah, so those are some of the, I think, withdrawing uh, sheep that are all alone. Those mm, Isolation. It, yeah. yeah, isolation. That is just not, that's a that's a sure sign and that's a place where you can put yourself in a really bad You know, speaking position. on that point, I was reading another article last night. Um, I think it was in the Federalist publication and the, the title of the article was kind of interesting. Um, I'm an observant Jew. Here's why I want more Americans to come to Jesus. Pretty, oh, wow. Pretty interesting. So this is a, a gal who's Jewish. And uh, yeah, it was on the federalist.com. And she's basically talking about how the departure from religion or the disaffiliation with organized religion has led to some not so good things in the United States. I think we certainly recognize yeah, that. You'd have to be blind or right. have an agenda to not but see she, it. But she cites the research from Gallup and from Pew Research and different groups like that. But one of the things she points out is that Americans are indeed lonelier than ever, and there's research that supports this. Yep. And she talks about isolation being a real problem and being one of the causes that's one of the things that's increasing um, suicide rates in the U.S. is isolation and aloneness. So, so those are not good things. That's why we think people should be connected to God and connected to one another. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. Is suicide a sin? Yes. Do you go to hell if you commit suicide? Assume you do, and then you won't do it, right? I'm totally oh, kidding. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm not making light of this, but uh, we, we did talk I get that about question this. a lot. We did talk I about that this in episode 32. Yeah. So, yeah, we do get this question quite frequently. Is suicide a sin? So you, you said yes. I, Absolutely, I, I, yes. I do think it's a, a sin as well. I do think it's an action that's against God's will and his command and his nature. Um, and you're taking the plate. You're trying to yeah. take the place of God. You're right. playing God, and that's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Is it the unforgivable sin, or what? So a lot of times this comes up from someone who has a background in Catholicism, right? Because Catholics teach the difference between mortal and venial sins, right? Right. Mortal right, right. sins. Um, 
I, I don't know if there's documentation on this, but I've, the conversations I've had with people before is that they say that um, suicide is a mortal sin, mortal sin. And so, yeah, so it's unforgivable. I, I don't see that in the scriptures and I don't believe that. Um, but what you said is, is not necessarily invalid. Like, right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Assume that it's really bad. Yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Don't risk it. Yeah. Reach out to someone for help. Yeah. Because the answer is no. Don't do it. Mm-hmm. There's, it's never worth it. No, it's, it's never, not. It never helps anybody. And I, I mean, I have to just say, like, I am super, super grateful. I have never been to a point of despair or depression where I've experienced those thoughts. I'm very grateful for mm-hmm. that. But I know in interacting with people um, that some people have and do feel those sort of things. And, um, and I'm grateful when someone will come in and say, I need prayer. And I would say, you know, it's not like it happens every single week, but there's probably a couple times a year where we have people who come to us with, uh, and they're very, very clearly sharing, like, I, I need help. I need counsel. I need encouragement. I need prayer. And uh, the body of Christ is there to minister to those people, which is good. Yeah. I, and I'm, I mean, a, a church is a hospital. Yes. It's a place for broken people go. And, um, that's People why that we're hurting. here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, if we had it all figured out, yeah. I mean, we the broken toys. It's right here. The island of misfit toys. Is that what it is? Mm-hmm. A little bit. Um, That's I, us. I just see that. Yeah, it's a place for broken people. It's a place where we're supposed to get better and get healed, and uh, then participate in healing others. Yeah, and, and learn these lessons. So, um, I think it's one of the great things. And I, I don't think society really gives the church credit for these things. No, that's I mean, true. You know, they, they would rather do a social program and call it something, but the church has been doing the social program thing for, a for while. years. Community yeah, and uh, all those things. And, and, uh, and we can point to the very obvious things like, you know, just about every hospital in a third world nation was started by Christians and maintained by Christians. You go to Africa and all those, those the hospitals there, they're most all of them are done by Christians. Most of the immediate medical uh, things available in outlying areas all Christians, we can look at those things, but then just the things that happen at a church level here in Escondido, um, counseling, putting families back together, um, benevolence, uh, paying, you know, paying people's rent, giving them food, uh, so many things that I think that people just don't give the church credit for. Um, and coming in for prayer is just a member of the church or non-member of the church. Anybody off the street, we'll pray with anybody. Right. And, um, that that's a it's a great support system, great support system. So yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. Cool. You have this concerned look on your face, like uh, well, something you were saying was completely concerned. in line with that article in the Federalist. Oh, really? Yeah, and she kind of makes some of the points that you were just making as well. That just if you look at what the church has done in times past, has been moderately good. It's so, been great. Yeah, yeah. So. We just need to make the church great again. Well, I think the church is great. We just need to get a little bit better at our uh, our promotion. There you go. Evangelism is there another you go. word for that. So start wasting our time in the wrong places. All right. So number seven, John 20, 22, and Acts 1, 4 through 5, um, reference, in reference to being filled with the Holy Spirit, is Jesus breathing into them the Holy Spirit different than the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That's mm, the question. Mm. So we should probably read those verses. John twenty twenty two. 22. Uh, this is when Jesus, after his 
death, burial, and now resurrection, meets with his disciples on that Resurrection Sunday. And as he appears to them, it says in John 20, 22, he said this to them and breathed on them and said, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. So that's John 20, 22. Then Acts 1, 4 and 5. It says, And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they not depart from Jerusalem, but they wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You have heard from me. The Comforter. For, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Then verse 8, I should probably read as well, because that's an important one. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So uh, this is a question about um, how the Holy Spirit is given to the believer. And there are different views and interpretations on this. Um, There are some who believe that the Holy Spirit and the gifts and the power of the Holy Spirit is not at work in the church today. Those are people who are referred to as cessationists. And then there are those who are continuationists who believe that the work of the Holy Spirit is still actively at work in the church today. And uh, we at Cross Connection hold to the continuationist view. We believe that the Holy Spirit, his gifts and power remain in effect and in the work in the church today. So among those who hold a continuationist view, there's kind of two different views. One is that you receive the whole fullness of the Holy Spirit when you're born again. And then another one is that you have a baptism experience later on, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes after you've been a Christian. So those are kind of the two different ways. And so this is what I think is what is being asked about here in question number seven. So in John 20, 22, what's happening when Jesus breathes on his disciples and said, receive ye the Holy Spirit? It's my opinion that they are experiencing the born again experience in that moment in John 20, 22. So that's kind of striking because it means that Jesus' disciples were not regenerated or born again by the Spirit of God until after the resurrection, which means all the things they'd experienced to that point, they were not technically saved. So healing the sick, casting demons out of people, all that sort of stuff, they were doing by the enabling of Jesus, the empowering of Jesus, but they were not saved. They were not Christians, which is interesting. Well, the sacrifice for their, for their sin had not been made hadn't, yet. Hadn't been happening. Yeah, yeah, so makes sense. So they they believed on Jesus when they see him raised from the dead, and they receive the Holy Spirit. And they're born again. But then they're going to experience the fulfillment of, of a prophecy that was spoken by Joel in Joel chapter 2, not Joel Osteen. This is Joel, the prophet Joel, of God. Joel, the real Joel. The true Joel, the, the one for whom Joel Osteen's probably named. J, JP, not J-O. Yes, Joel the prophet. Yeah. And uh, so he prophesied about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in Acts chapter 2, when the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happened, Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, says, this is that which was spoken of by Joel. So Jesus tells his disciples they're going to experience that empowering by the Holy Spirit um, not many days from now. This is just a little bit before Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit upon his church, and then they experienced the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, it is my view, and I was having a conversation with the staff about this the other day in the staff meeting. It is my view that every Christian, when they are born again, is baptized with the Holy Spirit by Jesus. And I take that from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13, mm-hmm. where Paul says, for by one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free. And we have all been made to drink into one spirit. So that's speaking about all Christians have been experienced this poured out experience of the Holy Spirit into their life, upon their life, which Jesus is giving to his disciples when they are born again. 
And we also continue to need the the filling and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Now, I think a lot of times you can get into just semantics on this, and there's different right. words that people use. But I, I will say that every Christian, in my opinion, has the fullness of the Holy Spirit in their life because of what Jesus does in the new birth. But I heard it said like this, and I want to say that it was a great old saint named um, Ray Stedman. I'm pretty sure he's the one that I heard said that, say this, that at the born-again experience, when a person's born again by the Spirit of God, they have all of the Holy Spirit. They have the fullness of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit doesn't have all of them. And mm. as they continue to yield themselves to the working of the Spirit in their life, then they experience the power of the Spirit in their life, in that area where they're yielding themselves to Him. So um, I, I think that might answer the question, but you know, a lot of times it's semantics on the, is there a, what's called a, um, a second blessing Right, coming right, upon right, right, experience right. of the Holy Spirit, or do we receive the whole of this Holy Spirit at the new birth? Um, some of it might be semantics, but the the basic premise is this. We need the Spirit of God to give us life because of our deadness as a result of sin. That's the new birth. And we need the continuing work of the Holy Spirit in our lives for sanctification, transforming us, and for empowering to be able to do the work that God has called us to do. And God gifts us by his Holy Spirit to do that. And every Christian has gifts by the Holy Spirit, and they should be used for the edifying of the body and for the glorifying of Christ. And uh, if you're not using your gifts, you should. Right. But we're, And you can you will obviously agree with this, but we're led into a relationship with Jesus Christ, giving our lives and hearts to Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Yes. The Spirit does this work in us. And I think that's important for people who are uh, trying to lead others to Christ. Let's say, you know, like me, an armchair evangelist, so to speak. It's important for us to realize that— You're not an armchair evangelist. You're a straight-up evangelist. Well, straight up. But Maybe not like Billy Graham level. No, no, But no, you're no, kind of no, a couple no. rungs down from there. You're, you're in that Oh, you think class. so? Like a yeah. taco shop evangelist? Yeah, yeah well, t- I've been with you at taco shops where you've kind of evangelized. So well, I'd say, yeah, go. yeah, I okay, think so. All right. You're so, like a, like a, uh, a marina— Evangelist. That's true. Yeah, you evangelize people down boats, boats. and the marina yeah. and taco shop and a Home fishing Depot. boat evangelist. That's there you Peter, go. James, and John. You're kind of in the same vein there. My mission field, long range sport fishing. I'm All there. Right, yeah. So it's time for me to go on another missions trip. A hunting evangelist. That's true. Yeah. So, but anyway, just in normal conversations with people, I think you have to realize um, it's not an argument. You spewing a bunch of facts and reason and things like that. It's good to know the facts. It's good to, to have conversations and to raise questions and things like that. But ultimately, when this is done, when the deal is sealed, so to speak, it is the Holy Spirit, Spirit working on that person in their heart, and they're making this decision, and it's by the Spirit. He convicts the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. He draws people to God. Right. People yeah. can tell me I've got a problem all day long, uh, but that internal little compass... When the Holy Spirit works and goes, man, you got a problem. And this is why evangelism begins with prayer. Absolutely. When we are asking God by his Spirit to begin to work in a person's life and draw them to himself. Right, right. So I think it's a, a very important thing. And just on that know. point, like, you've probably experienced this. I've experienced this a number of times where um, I'm going to a family gathering, and mm-hmm. I have some family members, like we're getting ready for holidays here. Right on. I have some family members who don't know Jesus, and they know I'm a pastor. They know that I believe in Jesus, and I want to be able to have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. I want to be able to have a spiritual conversation with them. And so there have been many times where we're getting ready to go to a family gathering, and I just pray, God, 
would you, by your spirit, open up an opportunity for me to have a conversation about you today with my family? There you go. And every time I have the wherewithal, the remembrance to pray that prayer, he is completely faithful. And inevitably, one of my family members will say, hey, you know, I was thinking about this. And there you go. We're on to a 45-minute conversation about Jesus. So, Right. And there's some, you know, and of course, that's a time when the kids don't want to get in the car, the wife's angry at you, and then it won't start, right? <laughs> I tease about I have that. I've never had that experience. Yeah, never, not once. No. You're, you just had a bad transmission. Come on. Anyway, well, I know, the life perfect at your house. But anyway. Except for the transmission. Yeah, except for the transmission. But uh, I joke around about that, the opposition. But I think there's there's something to be said for not being the obnoxious Christian. Mm-hmm. That people think they can approach you with these questions and you're not they're not gonna get over answered, so to speak, and they're not gonna get preached at or to or whatever. But just to be able to have a normal conversation with them because I have a normal relationship with Jesus. I'm excited about my relationship with Jesus, but to be there to be kind of the the answer guy for that, where they can approach you and uh ask these questions and they kind of feel I guess, is it safe, maybe, that they can ask these questions? Boy, I've gotten way farther with that type of line of evangelism than I ever have with just being in people's face. I agree with that. So, and then, you know, I'll take risks. Like I'm going to do a wedding for a guy pretty soon, late in March, a a really good guy, a guy who likes me, a guy's not a believer, not a believer. See, now this is an interesting conversation here on this point. Um, Had a big discussion in a class that I was taking Mm -hmm. uh, about a year ago. Um, and it was a pastoral ministry class, and part of that class was on um, weddings, funerals, and the yeah. like. So there was a big discussion on uh, what is your your position, biblically or philosophically, on doing a wedding for someone who's not a believer. And the professor in the class who is a pastor and has been a pastor for a very long time, he, he expressed that he would not do a wedding for unbelievers. And, uh, and we had kind of a go around, a friendly conversation. It wasn't yeah. argumentative on that point um, because I, I hold a different view. Now, I won't do a wedding for someone who's a believer and a non-believer. And, no, um, we can't. I think that's not a good the, idea. The, the biblical prohibition against that. Yeah, the um, do not be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. You can make the case that it's not technically talking about marriage in that passage, but the principle still applies, I think. Uh, right. But if I have two unbelievers who come to me and they, uh, they want to get married, which I think is a good thing. God created marriage, and we certainly have a lot of problems with uh, the view of marriage in our society today. But if I get two unbelievers who come to me and say, hey, we, we were hoping that maybe you would do our wedding, I'm going to meet with that couple. I'm not just going to instantly say, yes, absolutely. Yeah, I just don't show up dial a pastor. No. Right, right, yeah. Right. I've seen some of those, though. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I'm going to meet with that couple and uh, share the gospel with that couple, hopefully. I'm going to let them know that, listen, I'm a Christian pastor, so doing a wedding ceremony, I'm going to talk about God, and I'm going to talk about the purpose of marriage as God sees it, and I'm going to share about God, and I'm going to share the gospel. Are you okay with that? And they say, yep. And it's like, all right, I'll do the wedding. Yeah. Yeah, you too, obviously. Yeah, I my my thing is, is I, I say, okay, I want to do premarital counseling with you. Uh-huh. So you need to know what God's role is in marriage, even if you don't agree with it. You need to know what this is. Yeah. Because uh, if he created it, he's got an owner's manual, and you want to do this whole thing, you should probably know something about the Exactly. And my question is, well, why do you want to get married and not just live together? And usually it's like, oh, well, you know, it's kind of not right, or it's not this or that. And I go, well, 
Why do you say it's not right? Well, I don't know. They dodge a little bit. And I go, that's... You're doing the Jesus method. Why do you call me good? Exactly. Yeah. And then, so, I, you know, again, don't pressure them. Say, look, you guys sit down. You'll do the premarital counseling thing with me so we can explain roles and responsibilities, all the different things, you know, what's God's role in all this. And you'll do that. I'm going to talk about Jesus at your wedding. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to turn it into a church service, but I am going to... Jesus is going to get mentioned and why Jesus is part of marriage. Right. God's part of marriage. And so uh, I'm not going to do a non-Christian, you know, ceremony. Uh, I'm going to do that. I'll do it for you guys. I'd love to do it for you guys. And then, you know what? You guys have to promise me that when you're eight when months you down the road. patch. Yes. you will. When the, you know, you find out that, you know, he's, he's not, not Mr. very nice. One. Yeah. Like, uh, you he's know. He's very disorganized. His feet stink and her feet are cold. Yes. Uh, when you find out those realities of marriage and that there's more to this than just two people, you know, trying to get along, you guys got to promise to come see me. And I have had get couples get saved during the premarital counseling. Oh, that's awesome. Which is really cool. I've had couples get saved after. So that's what I do. So anyway. Jesus liked weddings. Wedding at Canaan, one of my favorite his passages. First, his first uh, miracle. Uh, John chapter 2. There you go. Gospel There John. you go. So, well, we have come to the end of our time, I think. All right. So I'm thinking that people should come tell us what their favorite book of the Bible is. Oh, see, I was going to tell them to come and tell us what character oh, they think we are in what Winnie the Pooh. are? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I want both. Your favorite book of the Bible and uh, which, which, which character are you? Do you yeah, sort of, yeah. yeah. Which, which character are you? Which Hundred Acre Woods character are you? Yeah. I, I like that. So, like, they may come and go, you know. You know, maybe you and Ecclesiastes. I take, We may need to take the test on here, uh, the, the poo personality test, and we'll, we'll divulge what the answers are next week. Next week. They're going to be on the edge of their seat for sure. Absolutely. So tune in next week for the answer to the question. But you can come and give us your thoughts ahead of time. Whose poo are you? Whose poo are you? Have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you Sunday. Happy trails. Wow.